Welcome back to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. We continue to produce daily content on FNFcoaches.com. Visit the website to check out stories about how football teams are doing this fall in the wake of the pandemic. Also, subscribe to the FNF Coaches Podcast on your preferred platform. We're on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, and Google Play. Our guest today started a movement among high school coaches about this time last year, and he set a bar for how men should behave in the world today. Coach Brandon Wilcox from Centerpoint High School in Birmingham, Alabama, started the Man Up movement almost a year ago last December. The vision of the movement is to teach and encourage male athletes to respect, protect, and love our female population. Coach Wilcox, thanks for joining me on the pod. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. You have a really good uh, Twitter handle and uh, entertaining stuff. A lot of stuff that we've been laughing about over the last few months. But then um, I was looking at your profile the other day, and it said it had some information on this movement, so I reached out to you. What inspired your decision to start the Man Up movement? Yeah, well, uh, I guess back in 2019, uh, pretty soon after the season was over, um, I had a friend, and, and she um, got in a situation where um, her life was taken, and it was a domestic violence situation. And, um, I guess the, you know, long, long story short, I was laying in bed, um, you know, obviously, you know, thinking about that situation and, and I, I want to say I laid down for, you know, maybe five or six hours and I just couldn't sleep. And, and so I knew, uh, God had put something on my heart. And, um, so I just pulled my phone out and started writing a message on Facebook about, um, you know, how men should treat women and that kind of thing. And it, it, it went viral. Um, I think it had like 2,400 shares within 24 hours. Wow. And um, I got a phone call from um, a new station here in town. And they were like, hey, do you mind coming in and talking with us about your post? And so I came in and, um, you know, I started thinking about how, you know, where can we go from here? Obviously, a Facebook post is nice. But let's be honest, after a couple of days, nobody remembers those. So, um you know, as a coach, we always do a really good job of, or most of us do, we do a really good job of teaching young men or young women, depending on what you coach, um, you know, how to, how to have discipline, how to you know, show up on time, how to uh, have work ethic, you know, all those kinds of things. But I kind of started thinking about, um, at the time I was a head football coach at Montevallo High School, and I'd been a head coach for six years, and I was looking back at, you know, we always do character uh, development with our kids and leadership development. And one of the things that I did, I failed as a leader and as a head football coach and athletic director is I'd never talked to my young men about how to treat women. Um, it was always kind of an understood thing. And I started thinking about how many young men I was coaching that didn't have men in their homes. And I felt like I was, I, I, there was, there was a, a, a gap there that I could bridge. And so I started thinking about creating a document that I could present to my team and have them sign um, basically a pledge on some pillars of things that as men we can do, um, you know, to make women feel comfortable, to make women know that, um, you know, they they are respected. And so um, that's kind of how it, it really got started. And, it, you know, it's, um, you know, obviously with, with COVID and all the things going on, um, you know, there was a little bit of a setback, but I really am excited about this offseason, and I'm really hoping that a lot of teams and coaches, um, 
you know, present this to their programs and, and, and use it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so important, but like you said, it's something we almost take for granted. It's not always the most comfortable conversation to have to talk about abuse or domestic violence. Um, you know, and obviously you're framing it in a positive way about the way that they, they should be treating women. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of coaches probably take that for granted or leave it up to, you know, someone at home to go over those, that value system. And it's so important that as leaders in the community, we take it upon ourselves to do that. So you drafted it uh, for your own program now, and then you've shared it with other coaches or, or has that because of the pandemic and um, you know, the COVID situation has, has it kind of been put on hold? Well, before, before COVID, I want to say somewhere between five and six schools besides my own at the time, um, had done some type of, of meeting where they, you know, presented the program to the kids, had them sign the pledge. And um, one of the cool things that happened um, through this is uh, some people reached out to me, and one of them was um, a young lady named Misty Shavers. And Misty is a, a domestic violence advocate here in Alabama, um, where I'm based out of. And she's really uh, done a lot of the you know, the legwork. I know just last month, um, you know, I'm in season, so, you know, I'm very limited on what I can do right now. Um, matter of fact, we got a big playoff game tomorrow. So, you know, I, I'm not out, I'm not able to get out and, and, and meet with people or anything like that. But Misty met with a uh, high school last week, Susan Moore High School, and she got t-shirts donated and, it, you know, it says man up movement on it and, you know, it was a it was a big event, and she goes and she talks. She's a domestic violence survivor herself, and kind of tells her story. And you know, it it just kind of brings it all together when you have somebody that you know comes into your locker room and can kind of, you know, tell their story and let let the, let the kids know, you know, this is what happened and this is what we can do to prevent it. You know, be proactive. Um, but another thing is, I think a lot of kids. Um, see these things at home and they aren't allowed to talk about it. And, and this is a way too that it, you know, it normalizes um, or, or doesn't make them feel guilty for maybe something that they had nothing to do with, but they had seen in their own home, if that makes sense. Sure, um, sure. I remember when I presented it to our school at Montevallo um, under, under the original post I'd, I'd wrote um, one of my players mothers had wrote um and kind of told her story about how her father uh, murdered her mom and and then you know it was basically a murder suicide situation and you just you don't know you know and these are again hard things to talk about but you don't know what the people that are around you have been through and this is just a way for things to you know open up the dialogue and and give people an opportunity to you know heal in some instances and then again in other ways you know hopefully prevent it down the road yeah and it kind of removes the stigma from talking about it once you kind of open the floor and allow uh like you said that mother to kind of come in and share and let people know how how affected you could be by this for the rest of your life how has it been received by uh players and coaches on your staff well you know i'm, I'm at a new school now i'm actually the offensive coordinator at center point high school right and um we haven't Again, you know, due to the, due to the situation, um, I got here in June, and it's been it's been football, football, football. You know, right. um, 
we are um, planning on doing something after the season. You know, our, our head coach here is George Bates, and he's one of those uh, great head coaches that's really big about, you know, this is more than just sports. You know, this is teaching young men how to, um, you know, be be men down, you know, be be men and be pillars of our society. So um, I know this is something we're going to do here, but back to when I did it at Montevallo, um, it was it was received, um, you know, very, very well. You know, I think, you know, most people want to do the right thing. You know, they just sometimes don't have the tools and and the things set up around them, uh, resources to sometimes know how to do it or, or the structure to help them do it. So, again, for me, this was a way for us to say, you know, one, I'm going to make an intentional pledge that this is how I'm going to act. And then, two, you know, I'm here to help you do these things. Um, you know, it, it, when, 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 when you need me, I'm here. You know, the four pillars we really talked about with, with the Man Up movements, you know, treat women with respect, stand up to abusers, stand with the survivors, and then end violence against women altogether. And, you know, I think those four things are doable for every young man. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's great. It's um, Now, it'll be, you know, as it, as it evolves in your own program now, I think that'll be um, something. It, it's great to be connected to, to a professional in the community, too, who can come in. And if there are players who come to you and they're seeking counseling or, you know, want to know how to escalate the uh, situation to get it on the radar of uh, Department of Social Services or something like that, I'm sure she'll have those answers, too. So it's great to be linked up with her. Um, now I, you, I, I was kind of looking through your bio. You grew up in Alabama. Um, and then at what age did you become involved with football or did you start playing pretty young? Yeah, I did. So I, I grew up in a a small town, uh, Castleberry, Alabama. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You might have to Google that because I guarantee most folks are not going to know where that is, (laughs) but, uh, very, very small town, but football was very important to our little community. And um, so I started playing in third grade, and I didn't have a clue. I'll never forget, um, I believe, one of our first games, I was, I think I was playing defensive line, and the quarterback dropped back to pass, and next thing I knew, I was like 25 yards downfield trying to get an interception. So, you know, that I, <laughs> I don't think uh, made the coach real happy, but and I didn't get an interception either. But, um, you know, I, I started playing young, and, and – um, Played all the way through college. Played high school ball at, at our um, local high school, T.R. Miller, yep. and uh, for legendary coach Jamie Ricks there. And and then uh, I knew from an early age though I wanted to be a coach. And, and one of the main reasons was because I, I played for some really really good coaches, and I saw what kind of impact they had on me. And I wanted to be able to do the same, you know, one day down the road. Yeah. Now, when you were playing, I, you know, there's it seems like a lot of uh, former quarterbacks end up playing or end up coaching because of the way they see the field, the X's and O's. Did you see it that way when you were playing or what, or, you know, what, what was or was it more, you know, the impact that you wanted to make because of the way the, uh, that your coaches impacted you? Well, I actually played um, offensive line in high school. And it's kind of funny. Um, in most of my coaching career, I've, I've coached on the defensive side. I played linebacker in college at the University of North Alabama, and and for the last um, you know seven years, I've kind of been pretty much on the offensive side of the ball. So 
I guess you can kind of say I've, I've been all over the place. But, yeah, for me it was uh, definitely just how much respect I had for my coaches and, you know, how I saw uh, – for one, I'm an extremely competitive person. So, you know, I knew whatever I was going to do, it, it needed to involve competition for me to be happy. Um, and and we were a part of a really, really good program in high school. was blessed to win a state championship and, and play for another – and, um, you know, just seeing how those guys interacted with us and just, you know, they were, they were model coaches, you know, um, you know, our, our coaches, um, were the type that they inspired you every day to try to, you know, be your best version of yourself. And I have no doubt, um, I'm the man I am today. Um, you know, I, ha I have a great family and an unbelievable father and he's my hero, but, my high school coaches have a huge part to do with who I am today. Yeah, that's great. And so many coaches, I think, are impacted in that way, and that's what kind of pushes them to get into the sport and, you know, so they can pass it, pay it forward, I guess, to kids that are uh, going through the schools where they coach. Um, now, in terms of uh, your college football experience, was that – how did it compare to your high school experience, and um, did you think about playing beyond college? Well, it didn't matter what I thought. I wasn't good enough, first of <laughs> all. Um, my, my, I always joke with my mom. My mom's 4'11 and, and half Filipino. And, and um, you know, I was blessed to, to, to get to 5'11, I guess maybe because my dad's 6'2. But I always joked with her. I said, you know, Mom, you cost me my NFL career. But, <laughs> you know, that obviously I'm kidding. But, no, I, for me it was, um, you know, I knew, I knew at some point, in the near future, hanging the cleats up was going to happen and there was going to be a transition. And, um, you know, I, I, I was blessed to play um, under Mark Hudspeth at, at the University of North Alabama on some really good teams. And then um, then Coach Hudspeth actually allowed me to come on as a student coach after I got done playing. And so that was my first, um, my first time actually dabbling in the coaching world and, and it was funny because I really thought I knew what I was doing. And, uh, you know, I thought I knew football and all those things. And I started sitting in those meeting rooms with Coach Morgan, our defensive coordinator, and Coach Edenfield, our offensive coordinator, who's now South Alabama. And, um, and and I found out real quick, not only was I the lone man on the totem pole, I didn't know diddly squat about football. So <laughs> um, it, it, was a, it was a great experience for me, though. We were, you know, again, a part of a really good football team. Um, but that for me just solidified that this was what I was going to do, you know, for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, and so at what stage, what was your path to become a head coach? Yeah. I, I bounced around quite a bit. You know, I was very blessed to keep getting opportunities to move up. Um, start out at a little small school, um, and, and just kind of bounced around, you know, basically was it everywhere for a year. Um, I think I was at three schools my first three years and then uh one of our bigger schools in the wiregrass at the time i think it was the fifth largest school in the state enterprise high school um hired david faulkner who's now at troy mm -hmm. and coach faulkner a uh, good friend of mine and i have a ton of respect for him and he brought me on and, and hired me as a defensive line coach and so i stayed two years there with him and um i just started getting the itch you know to apply for some jobs and and um uh, you know, 
I was blessed to get an opportunity at the age of 30 to, uh, to go up to Marion County High School, which was about a five-hour drive from, from, um, <laughs> from Enterprise. But, you know, I tell, I tell guys all the time because I hear a lot of, you know, young coaches, they say they want to be head coaches. And, and I ask them, are you willing to move? You know, because if, you, if you're not, then, you know, I mean, just for instance, in Birmingham, there's, there's X amount of jobs and, you know, you know I'm, I'm just throwing a number out there, but let's say there's 50 jobs. Well, there's probably about 2,000 coaches that want those jobs. Right. So, you know, good luck to you. Um, so you better be willing to move. You better be willing to maybe take a job that a lot of other people don't want right now. And you got to believe in yourself and believe in your plan. So for me, um, I left Enterprise, became head coach at Marion County, was there for two years. And then I got the opportunity at Montevallo and was there for four years. So, um, again, kind of bounced around um, to different places. But every every place I went to was a little different, and I took a little something different away from it. And I think it's it's really helped me connect with a lot of different types of kids from a lot of different backgrounds and, um, you know, makes makes your job enjoyable when you can kind of um, connect with the kids on a little bit deeper level than just – you know, coaching, coaching the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And what has it been like uh, to go back to being a coordinator? We talked to so many uh, head coaches who love the X's and O's and they love, you know, coaching players and they love coaching position groups and things like that. But then once they become a head coach, there's a whole, as you know, you know, there are a lot of different headaches with dealing with parents and, you know, doing more of the administrative stuff where you're, scheduling buses and foods and you know all that type of stuff has it been almost um nice to get back to being a coordinator or how has that been for you it's been really refreshing um you know i mentioned coach bates earlier um it's been nice to see how he runs his program you know i've been able to take some things away um that i can use down the road um with that but on top of it he's um and I knew this going in, he's not a micromanaging type of coach. You know, I knew I didn't want to go into a situation where, you know, every week it was like, all right, here's the plays I'm going to need you to call. Um, he's, he's really been hands off on the offense. And, um, and so that's been nice that I've been able to come in and, and, and do the things that I feel like um, are going to help us be successful here. And um, so but as far as the off the field stuff, it, it, it has been nice. Um, you know, there's times where, you know, I can kind of see, all right, he's got to go deal with this. And, and I kind of cringe a little bit, but you know, that's part of it. And, um, you know, as long as you're in this game, um, you're, you know, it, it's not getting any better on, on that part of it. You know, you just got to learn to adapt and learn how to handle with different people's perspectives, you know, um, Something I was I was talking to a head coach the other day about. Um, he was having uh, as a buddy of mine. He was having some issues with some parents, and and I said, you understand, you know, parents are watching their child, and that's the only thing they care about. And you're watching the entire program, and that's what you care about. And so you got to be able to look at it from their perspective a little bit, but you also got to find a way, you know, to meet in the middle sometimes and get them to understand that you know what we got to do is what's best for the program and it may not be what it may not be the position your son wants to play I mean, he may not be playing as much as he wants to play but understand we're going to you know we're always going to put your child first but we're all we're also going to do what's best for our program and so um you know watching watching coach Bates uh handle those things and he does a great job with it 
um, again, it's, it's, it's going to help me down the road. But um, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you there's there's not an itch to to get back in that seat just because again I'm a competitive person and and um, I love I love being challenged and I love um, you know I love I love all the duties that comes with with that with that seat. But it is again it's it's refreshing to uh, get to sit back, call plays, and and watch the kids uh, you know hopefully score up some points. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you said, uh, like you said, you've been, you're a competitive guy. I was looking, uh, when I was kind of looking up your bio and info, you could see in your picture, you've managed to stay in pretty great shape, uh, even after your playing days. Do you, uh, do you have a background in strength training or are you leading this strength stuff for your team? And, um, what do you do to stay in shape? Yeah. So, um, I guess I was a strength coach for a couple of years at some different schools when I was an assistant coach. Um, and then I've been, I've pretty much ran the strength, um, and conditioning programs, um, everywhere I've been as a head coach. Um, currently where I'm at, we've already got someone here doing it. And again, I got here kind of late, so there wasn't much need for me to, you know, be thrown in the fire there. We had plenty to, plenty to do on offense when we're, you know, starting a whole new system in the middle of June. Um, but yeah, as far as personally, um, you know, I just like, I like to eat a lot of cookies, and um, that, that kind of keeps me in shape. No, I'm kidding. Um, I do eat a lot of cookies, though. But no, I, I try. I try to do strength training. I don't. I'm not big on the uh, on the running anymore. Yeah. Um, I, that's not something I really enjoy. But I do like. I do like pushing weight around a little bit, and uh, you know, put putting in my headset and listening to some good music, and kind of. It's it's a nice release, you know. Um, and on top of it, it, um, you know, it, it obviously has some health benefits as well. Right. Yeah. No, I've heard, I've heard coaches say that, you know, like if you're going to be a strength coach, you need to set the, set an example for your kids and show them, you know, the, the importance of being in peak shape. But then I, you know, you see other coaches who are getting later in their career where they're like, it doesn't really matter what kind of shape I'm in. Do you think it, do you think it impacts, uh, the motivation level of your players or not really? I don't. I definitely don't think it hurts. You know, I I think it, there there are great coaches that are in, you know, not the best of shape, and there are very below average coaches that are you know, fitness models. So, you know, I think there. I think though it doesn't hurt you as a coach. I think you do um, get a little more respect from your kids. And it, it was funny um, um, here at Center Point. We have. Um, a word of the week every week. And so a few weeks ago, our word was flex. And so on Friday before the game, um, you know, our head coach comes in and he says, Hey, uh, right before pregame meal, we're going to go and um, we're going to take every kid in the weight room and we're going to do, uh, we're going to lift and we're going to lift with them. And, and I was like, okay, all right. So, you know, we go in there and we're, we're, we're doing our thing and all the kids and the kids loved it. And they, you know, and, and even some of our coaches that don't lift, they loved it just because we were in there sweating with them and, you know, having fun. And so, you know, I think it's just, it's another way the kids can know that, you know, you're not just all about telling them to do something, you're actually doing it. And that's something I've always took pride in is that, I tell kids, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I haven't already done, you know. And so um, that may not mean that I'm going to get under 500 pounds 
um, and squat right now, but I might have done that in the past, you know. Right. Um, right. But, but yeah, I definitely don't think it hurts you at all. And, you know, I would encourage any coach to, because in our profession, it's, it's hard. It's hard to stay in shape. You know, it's hard to work long hours, but just kind of block off, uh, whether it means get up an hour earlier or as soon as practice is over, you know, get you a quick workout in or get you a quick run in because, um, this profession that will take a lot out of you and it'll, I think it rejuvenates you a little bit when you can, you know, get your health back going. That's right. Yeah. Especially like you said, it's a crazy time of year with the playoffs. You're probably working longer hours. How does the schedule change uh, during the, during the playoff season? And, you know, do you have any superstitions or, you know, habits that you you form for the playoffs? Well, um, we, we kind of, you know, the thing that I've always been a big believer in is consistency, you know, and I don't think, you know, everybody's got their own philosophy, but for me, I don't think you need to change who you are during the playoffs. You know, if if you needed to change it, then you probably shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. So, you know, for for us, we're going to continue to do what we've done. You know, and and you know, I'm looking at my play sheet right now, and you know, we've got we've got a lot of plays on there that we've repped all year, and we hadn't ran a lot. So, yeah, we're going to give some different looks to uh, to some teams. Hopefully, that we play, yeah, they'll they'll see some things. Um, but it's not, it's not stuff that we are, you know, necessarily, you know, pulling out of the hat, uh, last second and going, okay, guys, you know, what we've done isn't good enough. Um, you know, we're, we've, we've created an identity now. We know who we are and hopefully we can go out there and, and impose our will, you know, on, on the teams we're playing. So, um, you know, superstitious wise, I, I'm not saying I'm not a superstitious man, but, (laughs) Um, I, I really don't have any in coaching I, that I can think of. You know, you, you do get on those, you know, win streaks and you're wearing the same shirt, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. well, last week we wore red, and so, you know, I got to make sure I got my red shirt on. Um, you know, I, I will do some of those things, but, you know, overall there, <laughs> there's nothing that stands out that, that I have to make sure I do every Friday night. All right. And you're a power spread guy. Uh, who who are some of your inspirations? By are there you know like NFL or college offenses that you like to study, or you know even high school you know local ins- uh, coaches who have inspired you to run that offense? Well, um, the power spread tags actually it's a running joke between me and a couple of my coaching buddies. But um, you know we when I was when I was a head coach of Montevallo, we we were kind of known for throwing the ball. Yeah. Probably yeah. more than most, if if not everybody. You know, we we had games where we have 30, 40 pass attempts just because that's what we were good at. And now here at Center Point, we're kind of more uh, run heavy. You know, I think we had a game earlier in the year. We almost ran for, I don't know, 500 yards in a game. So, you know, we – for me, though, it, it's about looking at your personnel, what can they do, and putting them in the best position – you know, to be successful. Um, you know, most of the things that, you know, foundationally I learned from was from coach Faulkner. Um, you know, to me, he's one of the most brilliant offensive minds in the state of Alabama, um, especially when it comes to spread offense. And, and he cut his teeth with, you know, coach probes, um, that, you know, was at Hoover for a long time. Coach Faulkner was the offensive coordinator there for three or four years. And so, um, you know, if you look at foundationally, probably what we do, a lot of it's that. 
now over the years, you know, it's transformed into some different things um, that, you know, we didn't necessarily do when I was with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the thing about football nowadays is if you're not learning, you're, you're, you're blind, you're not trying because there's so much out there. Um, there's so many databases where you can go. I mean, if you just want to watch them, you know, particular team, you know, it's, it's out there, you know, um, but, but there's not one team in particular that, that I'm just, you know, I would say that that's who we are. You know, we, we kind of look at our own personnel and kind of, you know, fit what we do to fit them. So it's kind of a hodgepodge, if you will. Yeah. No, I was wondering what that power spread was. I, I figured maybe like you switched from the spread for a series and then you know, like maybe you just had a really deep lineup and could kind of go back and forth between those. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. So I, it is a playoff week. Um, and who do you guys, who, who do you have this Friday and how is it, how, how has your season been impacted, I should say, by the, you know, the COVID situation, the pandemic? Are you able to have fans? Have you had any like late cancellations or postponement? Like, how is how how has the season gone for your team? Yeah, so for us, the they've allowed fans, but it's limited capacity. So, you know, for instance, um, there we have X amount of tickets for this Friday night, and I think you have to have them purchased by tonight, and they're only doing them online. So there's no face-to-face, um, you know, purchase of tickets at the game. Um, we were doing really well as far as not having any cancellations. I know some teams here in Alabama have lost up to four or five games. We've even had teams that cancel their entire season, um, which those are pretty rare. We were, we were blessed to, to most teams were able to get most of their games in. Uh, week nine, our opponent actually got COVID, had, I think, three or four players catch it, and so they had to forfeit the game. Um, we've been really lucky. We haven't had anybody get it, and um, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, luck, but also, you know, we temperature check our kids every day before they get out of their car. Um, so the protocols have really um, I think helped us, but also um, just talking to our kids about understanding you can't go out and do the things that you used to do. You know, you can't go out and put yourself around people. You know, you've got to protect yourself with a mask. You know, when we watch film, all the kids have, have their masks on that we gave them. So um, just things like that, that, you know, stuff you wouldn't have thought about a couple of years ago. And uh, hopefully <laughs> in the near future, we won't have to think about them again. But, you know, for now, um, it's the world we live in. You know, you, if you're not adapting, you're going to die. And so, you know, we've been blessed to uh, to be COVID-free, knock on wood, uh, thus far. Yeah. It's interesting. I talked to a coach. I want to say he was in Georgia or something, but it was early in September, maybe mid-September. And he had had like two of his first three games had been canceled uh, because of positive tests on his own team or even, you know, the opposing team, I think, one week had a had an issue come up and they had to cancel and this was a state champion coach, and he was—he just didn't sound uh, into it as much as he usually does. I think because he was just like, I don't, you know, we just want to get as many games as we can in for our team this year, and you let these seniors, you know, play a few games. And he didn't know if there was going to be playoffs, and he was just like, it's just a weird season. It's not what it usually is. The the emphasis this season is on, uh, you know, getting a chance for these seniors to play, trying to keep the camaraderie of the team supporting each other 
But, you know, it's not like we're gathering every day and talking about a state championship because he wasn't even sure the playoffs were going to happen. And I wonder, as the season played out, you know, if if that mindset changed, because at the time he was in the middle of having games canceled and just trying to keep his guys out on the field and not having to go into quarantine. Uh, do you feel, have you had moments in the season where you're like, this isn't a, this isn't a real season? Or, or have you or are you going into the playoffs with the same level of excitement and intensity that you would on a regular year? Yeah, I think at this point, um, it's a regular year. Now, I'll never uh, – the, the first game of the year, it was surreal. Yeah. Uh, just standing out there because I think in the back of all of our minds, the season wasn't going to happen. You know, it was just we, – we felt like at some point they're going to shut us down. You know, we're out here practicing and, and they're going to shut us down and, and they're going to say, it's, you know, it's just not safe enough. Um and then we finally, you know, lined up and kicked off, and it was just like, wow, we're 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 really playing. And I remember, you know, we kind of talked as a staff, and we were like, you know, guys, if we can get five games in, you know, that'll be great. You know, you know, we went ahead and our first home game, we we made it senior night. So we're like, our seniors are going to have a senior night. We're going to go ahead and get that knocked out. You know, so when this does happen, you know, we 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 didn't, you know, short them any experience. Um, uh, you know, we did an early homecoming. <laughs> I mean, we did all those things that you would usually wait till the end of the year to do. Um, but, you know, we just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And, and before you know it, you're back to just your normal routine as, you know, as, as close as you can be. And, and uh, you know, the, the lights, the lights kind of end the tunnel now, you know, we're five weeks from playing for a state championship. So, you know, seven, uh, seven, seven teams in Alabama is going to be named state, state champion. And, um, you know, I think everybody's expectation is it's going to get done. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I think it. I think early in the year it was kind of like, wow, I don't know about this. And but as as things progress, you just kind of, you know, uh, go to default. Yeah. What about recruiting? Has that been impacted? Are you guys still getting looks, or um, have you or have you had guys commit this fall that were, you know, kind of stuck over the spring and summer trying to get offers? Right. Yeah. It's, it's changed it dramatically. We've had, we've had a couple coaches come in um, and meet with our, with our, with our coaches. They, they haven't met with our kids. You know, the way they told us is there's a lot of evaluation going on right now via film, you mm -hmm. know? And so, you know, not, not that it wasn't happening before, but now it, it really happening because you didn't have the summer camps. You weren't able to put your eyes on the kids, you know, traveling to games is not really, you know, feasible for these coaches because they don't need to put themselves at risk and bring it back to their teams because they're in season. So, you know, it's um it's completely changed things. We've had a few kids pick up offers this year, um, and the way we've done it's just been through film and just reaching out to those coaches um, and getting that information. But you know, it, I'm I'm curious to see. You know, hopefully next summer we can get back to a normal routine where kids are going you know, to actual campuses and, and getting to work out for the coaches. But I'm interested to see how, um, you know, signing day goes this year with with a lot of kids. I think you're going to see a lot of kids get late offers that maybe don't have any offers and maybe even some pretty big offers just because they're going to, you know, um, rise from the ashes, I guess you could say, out of nowhere because somebody's going to, hey, heck, I'm going to put a highlight film together and, they thing, you know, a couple people see it and they go, okay, that kid can play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I really feel bad for those schools 
in, you know, there's 15 schools not playing this fall, waiting till either, you know, January in California and uh, some of those Pacific Northwest states, or even, you know, late February, March for some of these Northeast states, Massachusetts, Connecticut, you know, I think Rhode Island's waiting. So, and California is a huge recruiting ground for college coaches. You know, some of the top players in the country are coming out of California. So I think you're right. It's going to be, you know, you're going to want to see how those guys look in the spring after not playing for, you know, 15, 16 months. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be a regular recruiting calendar, but um, it's 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 a, it's kind of a mess. But like you said, like once you get on track, you know, and now you guys are heading into the playoffs, it, it can feel normal, you know, as long as you can avoid the it be responsible and avoid the covid situation. Um, well, coach, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, it was a great, important message that we heard from, uh, with the man up movement. We'll keep an eye on that. And any way we can help you promote that, please let us know. Absolutely. And if anyone's interested in doing that, I've, the document, I'll be glad to send it to them. They can just email me at coach Wilcox 55 at gmail.com C O A C H W A L C O X five five at Gmail. And I'll be glad to get it to them. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Coach, real quick, what's your Twitter handle? I should have looked that up. Uh, Coach Wilcox 55. Okay. At Co- Coach Wilcox 55. Give him a follow. He's definitely good, uh, entertaining stuff. The important <laughs> stuff like the man up movement, but also funny stuff. We've retweeted some of the uh, the funny stuff that is uh, helping kind of lighten the mood here during the pandemic. Um, subscribe to FNF Coaches Podcast on your preferred platform. Like I said in the beginning, we're on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play. Thanks for listening to the FNF Coaches Podcast. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at ForneyIn.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, Ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.